In a world full of voices, blocking out the noise is vital. The Bible is clear that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Therefore, this show is dedicated to providing you with the clear sound of the Scriptures, which are inspired by the Spirit of God and passed down by apostles and prophets. I am your host, Delivering the Heat, Gerald Joseph, a preacher and avid student of the Word, and you are now listening to the Holy Fuel Podcast. Welcome, everyone, back to the show. I'm so excited that you've tuned in. I've learned that there are people that I actually didn't expect listening to the show, and I'm so grateful that you have tuned in to the Holy Fuel podcast. This has been a burden of mine. This has been something that I've earnestly wanted to do for the longest time, and I'm excited that this is finally up and running. Who knows where this will go? However, I'm excited because my only endeavor here is to put forth the word of God. I believe the word is vital to life. I believe it's vital to every human being on the face of the planet. And we want everyone to be in tuned with the word of God. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for everything, guys. Truly, like I always say, y'all are the real MVPs. So, This week has been a little bit of a crazy week for me. I've been dealing with some crazy things with my Mac and, you know, everything just seemed to hit the fan this week. And I've been working and struggling and burning the midnight oil, but I'm finally back and running. I apologize. I was not able to put any snippets out, but hopefully after, you know, this show has dropped, I will release some snippets here and there of the show. And truly, I just want you to tune in, listen to the word of God, let it change your life. Because truly, that's the goal of this. The goal is that the word of God will take root in your life and you will be changed and transformed by mixing the word with faith. So the pre- in the previous episode, we spoke about King Ahaz. And how King Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings in Judah. However, we learned about the unholy alliance of Rezin and Pekah, the son of Remaliah. That is, Syria and the king of Samaria. In other words, Israel, the northern kingdom. And so we learned about how these unholy alliances led to this decision to dethrone King Ahaz. But let me tell you something. Even though King Ahaz was a wicked king, because of God's promise to David, King Ahaz was not dethroned. Because God told David that there would always be one from his house sitting on the throne. And God kept that word even in the face of of Ahaz's wickedness, God was faithful. And I want you to understand, even in unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so I think we ought to be excited of how good God is, how awesome he's been to us. Even in our worst of times, God has always been there. He has always been faithful. 
So anywho, I want to kind of build upon that foundation. We left off with King Ahaz making an unholy alliance with the king of Assyria. And things, though they seem to work, ended up being the worst thing for him and his people. So if you didn't tune in to the episode entitled Unholy Alliances, I encourage you, tune in to the previous episode because we're just going forward from there. And so in this episode, I'm not going to introduce my title until about mid-episode, so just stay with me because I do want to talk about the downfall of King Ahaz. You see, anytime you make an unholy alliance, that is trusting in your own abilities and trusting that you know the right thing to do and putting your trust in the arm of the flesh as opposed to the arm of the Lord, always understand it will drown you in a flood of trouble. You see, no one wins when unholy alliances are forged. God would give King Ahaz a sign. And this sign would be that the young woman or the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel. He'll eat curds and honey. And before this child will even know how to reject evil and choose what is right, the land, that is Samaria and Damascus, would be disposed of its two kings and the land will be desolate. You know, sometimes the very things that we are afraid of are really just firebrands like the Lord spoke to King Ahaz. Really, those things that we're so terrified of will be dissolved in a moment. And if we would just hold out and trust God, everything would be all right. And so God clarified, even though King Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, God would clarify and be, speak directly to Ahaz to let him know that these kings that you fear, their land will be desolate in no time. However, there was a problem. Because, because of King Ahaz's unbelief and failure to trust God and forging his own unholy alliance, the Lord would bring upon him and his people and his father's family a time unlike any since Ephraim departed from Judah. God would send the king of Assyria upon the land of Judah. Now, obviously, this would actually happen a little later and beyond King Ahaz's reign. We understand that this happens in the reign of King Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz. And so here's where the Lord spoke in Isaiah chapter 7. In verse 18, it says, At that time the Lord will whistle for the flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for the bees from the land of Assyria. All of them will come and make their home in the ravines be between the cliffs and in the crevices of the cliffs, in all the thorn bushes, and in all the watering holes. Basically, God would allow Assyria to come upon Judah like a flood. But let's, let's talk about King Ahaz a little bit more. Let me give you a little bit of a recollection of the downfall of King Ahaz's reign. First and foremost, 
He was surrounded by Syria and Samaria and losing because the Lord allowed it. The Lord allowed him to lose and be embarrassed in the sight of these kings. However, God would not allow these kings to take King Ahaz off the throne. I don't know. I need to let you know. No matter how crazy it may seem, you cannot be dethroned by the enemy. Though they were not able to dethrone Ahaz, they did carry away captives, though. That means he did suffer loss. However, he was not deposed as these kings would later be. Secondly, King Ahaz turned to the king of Assyria for help. And because of his fear of Rezin and Pekah in the north and the Edomites and Philistines victory over him, he relied upon human strength for his deliverance. Now, I want to let you know something. Because when we choose to do things like this, it might seem right initially. See, Tiglath-Pileser attacked Damascus and captured it, and he deported the people and executed King Rezin. So we see that initially the king of Assyria truly did seem to be helpful to Ahaz. However, when King Ahaz went to meet the king of Assyria in Damascus, an altar caught his eye. And here's what I really want to get into today. Because many times, though initially an unholy alliance might seem to be working, it might seem to be successful, it might seem to be the right thing to do in the particular moment, we go on a downward spiral from there. You see, it starts off with a little, just a little leaven spoils the whole thing, just a little bit, and yet we open the door to much bigger trouble. It's almost like a mouse. If the mouse can fit its nose into a hole, its entire body will fit through that hole. It might only start as a little sliver. It might start as something very small and minute, but trust me when I tell you, if you open the door to something small, bigger things will follow. You see, he put his trust in the king of Assyria, and then as he went to meet Tiglath-Pileser in Damascus, Syria's capital, King Ahaz saw an altar. And that altar must have been absolutely beautiful because he saw it and he sent a drawing of the altar and a blueprint of its design to Uriah the priest and he says I want you to build me this altar here's what he said here's what second Kings 16 says it says when King Ahaz went to meet with Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria in Damascus he saw the altar there King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a drawing of the altar and a blueprint for its design. Uriah the priest built an altar in conformity to the plans King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. And Uriah the priest finished it before King Ahaz arrived back from Damascus. And when the king arrived back from Damascus and saw the altar, he approached it and offered a sacrifice on it. And he offered his burnt sacrifice and his grain offering. He poured out his libation and sprinkled the blood from his peace offerings on the altar. Listen, I think I know exactly who I'm speaking to. Dear millennial, dear young people, let me give you a warning. 
when you begin to trust in the flesh, you will begin to make alliances with the wrong ideologies and compromise at the altar of appetite. You see, though you may preserve the worship of God, you will be driven by your own taste buds. Uriah the priest, the priest, had that altar built for Ahaz in no time. When you begin to let these little things creep in to your life, you will begin to open the door to greater compromises of your walk with God. Millennial, the Bible even warns us, you will heap up preachers who will tell you the things that you want to hear. Uriah was the priest and he should have forbade this practice. He should have said no. However, Uriah simply condoned the king of Judah to do this great detestable act. And he had this altar built to suit the king. Second Timothy 4.3 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Listen, unholy alliances are pretty dangerous. You start doing things that you never thought you would do and you start watering down the message and it's no longer about the gospel, but it's all about what you want to hear. I tell you it's dangerous when we get to this place. I want to say again, dear millennial, you will begin to go to cookie cutter churches that have kept up with the times. You may still maintain a form of godliness, but there's no doubt that the gospel will no longer move you to a place of transformation. The Bible warns us that people will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. See, it's inevitable that when you make these unholy alliances, that your love for God will dwindle in favor for your love for pleasure. Paul says to Timothy, people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I'm issuing a warning because we get to these places where we say, oh, it's not a big deal or I know what I'm going to do with this in this situation. And then we begin to act out of our emotion. We begin to act out of our own understanding. And we begin to make a mess. We begin to dig a hole. And the hole gets bigger and bigger until you're at this place where you don't even recognize who you are. You don't even come to grips with what God had cleaned you from. You see... You once worshipped at the altar of conviction, but now you worship at the altar of convenience. You were once bound to God, but now you're free from rules and standards. You still love God, but the fear of God is gone. You've now decided that you will worship God in an atmosphere of your own making, and that's exactly what King Ahaz did. Pretty soon, he moved the bronze altar that was before the Lord out of the way and replaced it with his better altar. 
eventually King Ahaz replaced the true worship of God with the worship of idols, all in the presence of the temple of God. Doesn't Paul say, what does the temple of God have in common with idols? I'm letting you know, it's a dangerous game to play when we begin to compromise the smallest things in our walk with God because they become gaping holes that leave us open and vulnerable. Listen, you may not realize it, but pretty soon you will turn away from worshiping God because it no longer hits like it used to. You will give yourself to all the things that feel right and you will walk away from God. Soon your walk with God will be a distant memory. And it all began with a simple, unholy alliance in which you said in your heart, I've got this. You see, the Lord spoke to Isaiah in chapter 8 and he says this, these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and melt in fear over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. So look, the sovereign master is bringing up against them the turbulent and mighty waters of the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria and all his majestic power. It will reach flood stage and overflow its banks. It will spill into Judah, flooding and engulfing as it reaches to the necks of its victims. He will spread his wings out over your entire land, O Emmanuel. So with that, I want to drop my title, and it's Shaloa. You see, when we turn away from God's directives, we are rejecting the gently flowing waters of Shaloa. And turning away from God's response and God's directive and turning to the king of Assyria for help, King Ahaz invited the flood upon himself and his people. Eventually, Ahaz would apostatize and the land would be invaded by Assyria, which is the same place that he turned to for help. You see, God would cause his own means of assistance to implode upon himself. You see, the Lord will give you up to your very own delusions. Isaiah 66 says this, just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Giving into the temptation to reject the Lord's directive is the equivalent of choosing the Euphrates and rejecting the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. Now let me let me help you kind of grasp exactly what's being said. Because the, the Euphrates is the great river and in the ancient Near East it was a major source of life for civilizations. However, 
though it was such a great bed for life, it posed also a great danger to those who lived too close to its fertile banks because the Euphrates flooded every year. See, there's a lot of good things that can pose and cause great destruction to those who put their trust in them because we have this tendency of moving closer to the things that might work for us initially. See, there there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, Proverbs 16, 25. So truly, those who were situated in the floodplain of the Euphrates were blinded by the benefits. You see, so many times, because something works, we become blinded by the good that it may do. Those who dwelt upon the banks of the Euphrates, though their land would possibly flourish, their homes would be destroyed because the water of the Euphrates swelled every year. See, the Euphrates is like demonic wisdom, as is stated by James in the New Testament. It is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Just like the Euphrates, it swells and negatively affects those who are in proximity. It is envious and self-seeking, and where these things are, confusion and every evil thing exists. That's James chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. When we choose to reject the waters of Shaloa, we embrace an egotistical mindset and we look for what will save us in the moment and we become short-sighted to where we can only see what's directly in front of us, but we never realize the danger that lies ahead of us. Listen, young people. Listen, anyone who has had relationship with God, notice those things that may have taken you away, how small they were. But yet now, we see such distance between us and the Lord. But let me give you a contrast. Because Shaloa was actually a water channel in Jerusalem that carried water from the Gion Spring, which was situated just outside the city wall. There's some significance in the waters of Shaloa. What's significant is that this was the name of one of the water sources that situated the Garden of Eden, according to Genesis 2.13, just like the Euphrates was as well. The Shaloa was, a, was the same water shaft in which David and his men gained victory over the Jebusites and captured Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 5 verse 8. So at Shiloa, there's victory. This was also the site where Solomon was anointed and declared as king, according to 1 Kings 1 verse 33, 38, and 45. And so truly, not only is there victory in Shiloh, but there's also anointing at Shiloh. 
and scholars even believe that it was the custom that new kings drunk from these waters during the coronation ceremony. According to Psalm 110, verse 7, it says, He will drink from the brook by the road, and therefore he will lift up his head. God will give you victory if you will choose Shiloh. It was also here that King Hezekiah would make a pool and divert the Gion directly into the city by tunnel to ensure water in the case of an Assyrian attack whenever Assyria decided that they were going to flood Judah. So there is sustenance and security whenever we choose the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. According to James, he says this, But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Listen, when we choose the waters of Shiloh and we reject to be self-seeking and we reject to do things out of our own strength truly there's security in there truly there is wisdom in there truly we yield to the hand of God and allow God to do his thing and be our deliverer see God gave Isaiah the prophet a strong Warning, And this is for you and I to also heed. And so in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, it says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Listen. The first admonishment that the Lord gave to Isaiah is don't think like everyone else. I'm going to say that again. Do not think like everyone else. You see, there are things that people are afraid of in our day and age. There are many things that people will quake in fear over, whether it's the economy, whether it is the enemy, whether it is all these different ideologies people are afraid of. But the Lord strongly advises Isaiah, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Don't say conspiracy where they say conspiracy. Listen, we shouldn't be thinking like that. We shouldn't even be acting like that because we are different especially if we are the people of God concerning all that this people call a conspiracy don't be afraid of it don't be afraid of their threats don't be troubled stop being afraid of every new thing that comes your way because truly their fears cannot be your fears I think that's some very pertinent words right there. The fears of the world should not be the fears of the church. What the 
what people are afraid of when they walk out their house, you should not be afraid of those things. You should understand that the Lord will keep you through all these things, whether it is a pandemic, whether it is a bad economy, whether it is joblessness or whatever the case may be, we should not be afraid. We should not think like everyone else, but rather we should give heed to what the Lord tells Isaiah next. It says, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. It says, God is simply saying, instead of being afraid of what everybody else is afraid of, make the Lord your fear. That's number number two, make the Lord your fear. Peter lets us know, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, and when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. See, this is what's missing today, is that everyone wants God and everyone wants the love of God but yet the Lord is not sanctified in our heart. What that means is that means to consider God to be holy, consider God to be righteous in your heart first. Hollow him, set him apart in your heart. This means that you ought to reverence God, whether you're in public or in private. This means whatever you do, you do it in a godly fear because the fear of the Lord is good. I know people want to say you can do whatever you want nowadays. They want to say you can dress however you want to dress. You can look however you want to look. You can do whatever you want to do because there's freedom in Christ. But that's foolishness. That is absolute foolishness because the Lord who appeared on Sinai and the people were terrified. The Bible lets us know how much more crazy it is that we would not heed him. Now that he has revealed himself in the face of Jesus Christ, now that we have a better promise and a better premise, you've got to understand the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That's Proverbs 1, 7, 2, 5, and 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. That's Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Proverbs 14, 26. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is departure from iniquity. That's Proverbs 16, 6. The fear of the Lord is life and satisfaction. That's Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. That's Proverbs 22, 4. The fear of the Lord is safety. You know, we don't follow after the world's ways because the world might be afraid of all these other things, but one thing the world does not fear is God. We see it every single day. But God lets us know that if you will make him your fear, he will be your sanctuary. 
and that's shouting ground right there. I don't care what anybody else thinks. If you will make the Lord your fear, if you will dread the Lord and not dread what everybody else calls conspiracy, God will be your sanctuary. Man, I think I need to read it. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, it says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. That's for you. But for both Israel and Judah, who chose to reject the waters of Shiloh and to embrace the flood, to them, he will be like a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Listen, we need to regain a healthy fear of the Lord. Because without the fear of the Lord, you're going to do whatever you want and you're going to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. These are the warnings that Jude gives us of the last days, that they will turn God's beautiful and wonderful and great grace into license to sin. They will say, I'm free in Christ and I can do whatever I want. And you will see all the debauchery on Instagram. You'll see all the debauchery on the internet. You'll see the videos and you'll see shameful things being propagated by people who claim to be people of God I give you a warning don't think like the world thinks instead of fearing what they're afraid of let the Lord be your dread and number three preserve God's instruction and pass it along to faithful people Isaiah 8 verse 16 says bind up the testimony seal the law among my disciples in 2nd Timothy 3 verse 14 and 15 it says you however must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about you know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. And now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You need to preserve God's instruction because when we do this we are drinking from the waters of Shiloh we are partaking the gently flowing waters of Shiloh see wait on the Lord hope in him like Isaiah says, we are for signs and wonders in Israel. And just like Isaiah, we, those who choose the waters of Shiloh, we are for signs and wonders throughout the entire world. When someone looks at your life, they ought to see the wisdom of God descending and flowing through you. They ought to see an example. They ought to see a light in a dark world because truly, the light is found in God's very word. 
Isaiah says, look to God's instructions and teachings. He says, to the law and to the testimony. And whoever contradicts his word are completely in the dark. Those who reject the waters of Shiloh are blind. And so I want to tell you a little story. There once was a man who was blind and Jesus and his disciples were having a little bit of a conversation. And the disciples wondered why this man was born blind. Some of them said it's because his parents had sinned. Others had commotions among themselves saying that he somehow had sinned. But it was Jesus who said, no, he was blind so that the works of God would be manifested. And so in this story, this blind man, Jesus goes to him and he forms this clay. And Jesus smears the clay on this man's eyes. And he gives him instruction and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. You might be wondering, what does this have to do with anything? That is the pool that Hezekiah later created. And it was there that the waters of Siloam were diverted to flow. And so the man went to this pool called Siloam and he washed in the pool. And though he went there blind, he came back seeing. There was great commotion over this because this guy had just received his sight miraculously from Jesus. And so how it goes is that the Pharisees called him into question. They questioned how this guy could have possibly been healed by Jesus, who they presumed to be a sinner. What's interesting is that this healing took place on the Sabbath, and so these guys called Jesus a sinner. And yet the guy couldn't have given a better response because he didn't have the answers, but all he can do was say that Jesus was probably a prophet or some man sent from God. But his response is money. His response was the best response he could ever give. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing that I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Listen. Go and wash in the waters of Shiloh. Because those who wash in the waters of Shiloh, though they might have been blind, they will regain sight. Because the waters of Shiloh will cause you to stop thinking like everyone else, not to be afraid of the things that they are afraid of. The waters of Shiloh will cause you to see the Lord in a new light and you will make the Lord your fear. You will honor God in your life personally and publicly. And the waters of Shiloh will cause you to preserve God's instruction and to pass it on to faithful men. 
So what are you waiting for? Go and wash in the waters of Shiloh. God bless you. I hope this word speaks to you. And I will see you next time. So peace. Thank you for tuning in to the show. This was the Holy Fuel Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. But always remember, His Word is the fuel for holiness.